You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Ladies and gentlemen, great to, great to see you all this morning. Let me uh, offer a prayer, um, and then I'll answer all your questions about death. Um, I don't, let me just say, I didn't make that title. Then I saw that title. I thought, there are going to be some disappointed people. Um, but, but anyway, let me, let me offer a prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump in this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, you so richly bless us, and we give you great uh, thanks and praise that you have enabled us this time, this opportunity to gather together. Um, help us not take for granted the rich blessing that you give us to gather as a community of faith, to, to hear and receive uh, the truth and the hope of your living word. And ultimately, Lord, I, I pray that as we heard from the gospel this morning um, with Peter and James and John, as Jesus is transfigured before them, uh, speaking with Moses and Elijah, and then, of course, we hear uh, your voice speaks, uh, and then the clouds part, and then they see Jesus only. Uh, I pray that uh, through whatever words I might offer that, that you, Jesus, would go forth, and that uh, in all of our reflection this day that we would see, uh, that we would see you, uh, Jesus, and that our eyes would be fixed upon you. And these things I ask uh, and ourselves we offer in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so we are um, the articles, uh, article um, article 22. Uh, again, the, the title is What Happens When I Die. I'll, I'll read the article, but I'll, I'll just start off by telling you all um, a true story. It's like these are the things that, that happened to me. Uh, and I was thinking about this as I was doing my homework, saying my prayers uh, for this class. This was 25 years ago. So your first summer uh, in seminary, that first summer you work as a hospital chaplain. And, and I, was, um, I was a young guy, and I, I grew up in the church, you know, baptized, confirmed, uh, went to an Episcopal high school, and, and yet, in many ways, and I'm, this isn't um, disparaging, it's just really accurate, uh, I would say that I didn't become a Christian until I was in college. So it really wasn't until junior year um, that in college that I began to, to read my Bible. Um, and as I said, not... Not proud of that, but I might as well just go ahead and come clean with you about that. Uh, to the point that I remember on one of the trips with the soccer team, we're on the bus, and I'm reading my Bible, um, which, I mean, that's dramatic. Um, a 21-year-old on the bus reading their Bible. I mean, clearly God was, was at work in all of this. Well, anyway, our assistant coach comes down, and he says, what are you reading? Uh, what book are you reading? Uh, you know, the Bible. Really, which, which book? And I said, Job. Um, and he said, you know, it's Job. Um, and... And began to mock me, which, uh, let me just say, that's not effective evangelism. Um, so anyway, if you come across anybody reading the book of Job, um, encourage them for the love. Um, so anyway, that, that, you know, a little bit about sort of my beginning to come to faith. But So I go off to seminary in 1993. It uh, was the first summer uh, after that freshman year of seminary, and they have you work as a hospital chaplain. And, you know, good heavens, uh, I was... Uh, as I mentioned, I, I didn't have a whole lot of experience, um, and uh, one of the things that you did once a week, you were on call. And of course, you know, who knows, you, you might be extremely busy, it might be quiet, you never know what the situation is that you're going to be called into. And not only that, 
as you're called into the situation, it's not like you have a context. You know, one of the nice things about parish life is, you know, even though you don't necessarily walk in with all the answers all, you know, typed out for you, at least you often know the people. And so there's some context for your interaction. There's some relationship which exists. Well, this is often walking in cold turkey. And I got a call, I was on call, got called in to the uh, oncology ward, and it was a woman who was dying. Um, and uh, came into her room, and, and I think she had about a 1,000 family members. Uh, imagine this room that's packed with all these people, and she begins asking me questions about death. Um, you know, what happens when I die? Will I be able to let my children know that I'm okay? Um, are the streets um, really paved with gold? You know, starts asking me all these obviously very uh, important questions, period, but, but obviously as she was a person who was facing death uh, not just as something that's going to happen but as something that was imminent, these were, uh, these were very important questions. And to make matters uh, even worse, her, uh, what I think gathered was her son was standing next to me, clearly was a bouncer um, at a strip club. Uh, he had these huge biceps and tattoos, and he had this you know, naked lady airbrushed on the back of his shirt and his name on his shirt, and so I felt additional pressure um, to get these answers right. You know, what's, uh, what's going to happen when I die, et cetera, et cetera. And so, not surprisingly, uh, I threw up one of those silent arrow prayers. Yeah, obviously I'd been praying, pray going in, but that's all right, Lord. Um, I, need, I, need your, I need your guidance here. And, and what I began to share with her, which in some ways is, is what I hope for us to do this morning, say, so, you know, uh, I... I know some things, but not surprisingly, there's a lot of things I don't know. But, but here's what we do know about the character of God. Uh, here's what, I, what we do know about the character of God. And I, and I talk, began to speak from the scriptures about Jesus, uh, about the character of Jesus, uh, about the way that God reveals himself um, through Jesus, how he is the source and the substance uh, of our hope, um, that, that through his life and ministry, through his cross and through his resurrection, um, through the sufficiency of Jesus, through his character as a good shepherd who says, I know my sheep and I lay down my life for them and I take it up again. And no one can snatch them uh, from my hand. Lots of answers I wasn't able to, uh, lots of questions I wasn't necessarily able to answer, but can say with absolute certainty what the nature and the character um, of, of our God is and that he, Jesus, is sufficient for our salvation, uh, that he is sufficient for you and for me um, upon whom we can place um, our hope, that, that in him, um, God gives us uh, more than enough. Uh, and so, um, 25 years later, we'll see if I do any better. Um, but that, it was an interesting thing, is thinking about this thing, this is, you know, this is something uh, which, which came up. Well, let me read to you what I'm sure you've already memorized, um, Article 22 uh, of the Articles of, of Religion. And, and it's actually, um, it's of purgatory. Uh, so Article 22 of the Articles of Religion of Purgatory. <laughs> and it begins this way. The Romish doctrine concerning purgatory. So I think you can probably pick up already. They're not very predisposed toward this. Um, so the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory, pardons, worshiping, and adoration, as well of images as of relics, and also invocation of saints. So I'll Read that, read that again. So it's setting up, basically, here's, here's the, here was the Catholic practice of that day. And, and I'll say, and I don't know how much um, this is uh, present in the, in the minds of 
your uh, run-of-the-mill, everyday Catholic, but, it, but it's still in their teaching and in their confession, all the things that, that are being addressed here. If, if you read through the Catholic catechism, um, which, shockingly, I didn't read through all of it, um, but I did read through, and this is, all, this is, all this is still in there, um, these, these practices of, of purgatory, of indulgences, of the adoration of saints. This is something that, again, continues in the catechism and in the teaching. So the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory pardons, worshiping and adoration as well of images as of relics and also invocations of saints is a fond thing. And I think that's said uh, clearly tongue-in-cheek there. Uh, it's kind of, I think, my guess is what they're saying is it's a precious thing. Um, it's, a, it's a fond thing, vainly invented and grounded upon no warranty of Scripture It's a fond thing, vainly invented and grounded upon no warranty of Scripture, but rather repugnant to the Word of God. Um, So it says, you know, not only is it not only is it misleading, um, it's it says it's repugnant um, to the to the Word of God. And and perhaps as you hear those words, that it's something that is repugnant to the Word of God. One of the first things that came to mind was Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, And if and if you remember with Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, this is one of the things that, that Paul regularly encountered, and not just Paul, but, um, you know, it's something which continues to exist today. And, and it's unfortunately, it's the prevalence, it's not only the prevalence of false teaching, uh, but, it, but it's the prevalence of, of false teaching in, in reaction to the teaching of the gospel uh, and, in, and in opposition to the teaching of the truth. One of the things that Paul would often encounter is, in his ministry is he would come into a community that a church would be established, uh, a community of faith would be established, the gospel would be preached, uh, people would experience not, yes, salvation, but also the freedom that comes from, from life in Jesus, the freedom that comes from the recognition of the character of Jesus and the hope um, that we have through him. And people would come in behind, uh, and basically um, what they would say is, um, Jesus but. Um, anything... Um, that basically goes against Jesus only, um, we, we need to be suspicious of. Uh, we need to be suspect of. Because in essence, uh, the, the, the legalists would come behind Paul and they'd say, you know, Jesus is pretty good, but you also need to do this. Um, you also need to do this morally. You also need to do this um, religiously. Uh, they would come in and they would try to burden the people. They would try to steal the truth and the freedom from them. They would try to return them um, to slavery. So that Paul uh, would, would, these people would come in behind Paul, and they would say, you know what, Jesus is great, but you also um, need to do this as well. And part of what I hope in our time of talking and reflecting this morning is uh, to let you hear again and again and again um, the sufficiency of Jesus and the sufficiency uh, of Jesus alone, because it's not just the people during Jesus' day, it's, it's you and me as well. That, that insidiousness continues. People trying to say, you know, are you sure that's enough? Um, are you sure... Um, he's enough. Are you sure um, that you're doing enough? And when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, uh, is, is what he says. He says, you foolish uh, Galatians, um, who has bewitched you? I'll, I'll read to you some of what Paul has to say um, to the Galatians as we think about this this morning. Um, da, 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 da. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute um, as I... I should have, uh, this should, well, there's a lot of things I should do. Um, uh, but, there, but there again, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm falling prey to what I'm just talking about here. 
Paul writes to the Galatians at the very beginning, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So part of what's going on here with with Article 22 uh, is what Paul is talking about in Galatians. He says, they're saying, look, people are turning to a different gospel that is actually no gospel at all. People are turning to a different gospel that is actually no gospel at all. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Uh, And actually, the the word in the original language is actually repetitive. It it basically says, let him be accursed, accursed, Um, uh, as if uh, just so you don't miss the severity and the significance of what um, he's saying here. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, uh, let him be accursed. Um, And then he goes on, and he actually speaks to a time um, in which uh, Paul comes and he opposes Peter because Peter um, basically succumbed to pressure. Um, Peter was eating and having fellowship with Gentiles, and then um, some of the folks came along um, that were still observing all the law and et cetera, and so he began to withdraw from the Gentiles. And, and Paul talks about this, uh, the circumcision party. Uh, uh, he was eating with the Gentiles. This is in uh, 2.12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? And he goes on and he says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one um, will be justified. No one will be justified Um, by works uh, of the law. No one um, will be justified um, by extra efforts. We are justified by our faith um, in Christ alone and the sufficiency of Christ alone. Paul is writing to the Gentiles, and I I share that with you because it's uh, tremendously um, pertinent to what we're reflecting on today because what was going on um, during this time, uh, this is during the 1500s, and so uh, if if, if you want to have a mental framework in mind. 1517, if you remember, um, and I never remember these dates without looking them up again. So if you don't remember, first of all, let me don't act like a phony, like I've got all the dates memorized, because that's, um, you know, that's not my strength. Um, I, I just, um, I could go on a list about that, but let's get back to this. But 1517 was uh, Luther's 95 theses uh, on the door in Wittenberg. Uh, and then uh, 1563 to 1571, uh, primarily Thomas Cranmer and Nicholas Ridley uh, are, uh, are working um, to put together the, the articles of religion um, that, that we have now. This is during the time uh, of, of the Reformation. And during the time of the Reformation, and y- y'all, may, y'all may know all about all of this and remember all this, but during all this time as well, the Council of Trent, 
uh, was taking place. And the Council of Trent was taking place between December 13, 1545, and December 4, 1563 in, in Trent, uh, Trento in northern, in northern Italy. Uh, and so basically over this period of time, the Council of Trent was meeting under uh, three different popes, uh, Pope Paul III, Julius III, uh, and Pius IV. You're tracking with me, right? Um, so basically, but, but, it, but uh, I promise you this is important. So basically what we have going on here is, is this. We have competing truth claims going on. Uh, you, you, have, you have the Reformation, which is, which is going on, pointing to the sufficiency uh, of Jesus alone for our hope and our security and our salvation. And then you have um, the Council of Trent. You have the Catholic Church, which is coming together, uh, and they are, they are doubling down on the doctrines we're talking about. Um, they're doubling down um, on purgatory. Uh, they're doubling down um, on the adoration of saints. Uh, they're, they're, they're doubling down of, of, of all of this, uh, of all these things. Basically, what, what they're doing, they're having a counter-reformation conference uh, is, is what they're doing. Uh, rather than engaging this, uh, well, actually, they, they offered uh, some of the uh, reformers opportunity to come and to be heard but, but not have vote, uh, and, and they guaranteed them safe passage. Um, but then amazingly, uh, some of the reformers said, you know, we'll forget it. We're not coming if, if we don't have a vote. And I think some of them as well said, you know what, um, we're not real sure about the safe passage um, you're, you're promising to us. And so um, they, they came together, and their primary purpose was to condemn uh, and refute the beliefs of the Protestants, um, uh, Martin Luther, um, John Calvin, um, and, and the others, and approximately 40 clergymen, mainly bishops, uh, were in attendance. And then the 25 times they met over the next 18 years. So this is, you know, all this is, all this is not happening in a month. Um, all of these things are taking place um, over a significant period of time. This isn't the main point, but, but I guess I, I offer this by some way as, as, as a, perhaps a helpful aside to you and me to say, you know, a good change doesn't come about quickly. Um, that, you know, these things weren't, weren't ironed out um, quickly. It wasn't as if, well, they came together in February, uh, and then by March everybody, everybody moved on. Um, no, we're talking about a long period of time um, that was going on. But again, they were doubling down on things such as indulgences, pilgrimage, the veneration of saints and relics, the veneration of the Virgin Mary. All of these things uh, were strongly reaffirmed. Uh, they said, look, maybe we made some, maybe some people got a little overzealous with the indulgences, but we're not backing off um, on that. And the other thing they said, and this is, this is very significant as well, not only in that day, but, but today as well, was putting on par, um, the, the reformers would have pointed to the sufficiency of scripture, um, that, that the Bible um, is God's sufficient and authoritative witness. And, and we, have, uh, we have traditions, certainly, um, and, and inevitably, uh, we have human reason and, and discernment that's involved in, in, in engaging and understanding and interpreting and applying the scriptures. Well, well of course, but they're saying, look, uh, the scripture sits um, in authority. Uh, the revelation of God through the Bible sits in authority. Whereas uh, the Catholic Church, not only doubling down on the things which I mentioned there, but they're saying equal authority are given um, to the Bible, but also to the traditions of the church. Uh, and and I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's a dramatic difference. When, when people want to say the Episcopal Church is basically Catholic light, um, you know, we're just kind of Catholic chill, um, that, it's, that's, that's inaccurate. Um, that, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Communion, uh, is, is a Reformation church. Um, and that's, 
I'm grateful for that, uh, but whether I'm grateful for that or not, that's historically true. Um, the, we're, we're not sort of like this middle way um, between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. We are, we're a Reformation Church, and, and we're part of that um, tradition and part of that recognition of the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. And I'll say a brief word. Um, indulgences, um, as, as you might gather, as I say, they, they doubled down on those and said, you know what, yes, uh, indulgences can be paid. And the whole idea behind indulgences and the whole idea about, uh, you know, um, masses being said and, and the adoration and veneration of saints and relics, um, etc., was to deal with your sins. So the, the, the idea behind all this was, was to deal with your sins uh, and to lessen your time in purgatory. Um, so um, with, with the belief that, that one might die in, in friendship with God, um, but yet there's still sins that, that have to be addressed. Uh, there's still sins that need to be remedied, and, and that takes place after death um, during purgatory. So there can be, you know, there's venial sins and there's mortal sins. There, there's sins that lead to damnation, but then there are basically those, those sins um, that, that come along um, in life that are dealt with in purgatory uh, and through again. And, and the whole idea as well, not only of, uh, of, of purgatory, obviously, um, uh, basically your, your family behind or whomever um, paying for different things or during your lifetime paying for the forgiveness of these things and certain, you know, go say, you know, go whatever. Go say prayers for 30 minutes or go say you're this or go say you're that and, and that'll go ahead and cut off a certain amount of time uh, of your time in, in purgatory and, and towards your um, towards your perfection. Um, but also there was this whole idea as well and, and continues to be in the teaching and calling upon the saints, the veneration of the saints uh, and the relics and, and the Virgin Mary. Um, basically, there's this um, uh, collective trust of good deeds that we can draw upon, um, kind of like um, the, the church bank account, right? Um, my, my account's low, um, but my man Bill here um, has been a very uh, pious man and so you've paid more in, so I'm going to take some of your pension, Bill, um, and go ahead and apply it to me through my veneration of the saints. And so, I mean, who doesn't want to run with that? Um, uh, so this is, this, is part of what's, this is part of what's going on here. And so this is why, this is why all of this, I mean, it was a really big deal. Uh, it was a really big deal then, and it's a really big deal now. And, and let me give you a modern example of this. Visiting recently, and, and this, is, this is the truth, I'm not just sort of, changing this to protect uh, the guilty. Um, this, is, this is true. I was visiting uh, with some friends of mine, some folks um, that I just dearly love, um, that I've known for a long time, and they, and they really are, um, they're, they're, they're fabulous folks. Um, uh, and and uh, she's been a warden um, at their church. He's been on um, the vestry. You know, they, they raise their kids to the church. They're active in the church, um, you know, on various the men's ministry and the altar guild and the flower guild. And, you know, as I say, and, and, and they're really, um, I really like them a lot. Uh, and, and they're really um, fantastic folks. But, but he is, is not well. Uh, and I was visiting with them, and um, we were talking, you know, obviously talking about faith and talking about um, Jesus. And, and we were um, praying. And, and in talking, um, they, they said, you know, we just hope we've done enough. Uh, they just hope we just hope we've done enough. And as I say, these um, these are folks that and it and it, and it broke my heart. And, and really, quite frankly, I, I felt very indicted um, by that. As you know, as, as a clergyman, as a preacher, and as a teacher, thinking, you know, I, I felt very indicted by their worrying about 
you know, we just feel like um, we, we haven't done enough, and, and we hope we've, we've done enough. And, and of course, my, my first response is to say, well, you haven't. Um, you, you haven't done enough, um, and you can't do enough. And I didn't leave um, at that point. Uh, I, went on to, I went on to flesh that out and say, and, and, and neither have I, uh, and neither have any of us. Uh, none of us, uh, if, if, if that's the measure that we're using, none of us can do enough. You, 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 you can't. Uh, you can't try hard enough. You can't give enough. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't you know, serve enough and be active enough. If, if, if you're looking um, to measure up through your actions and through your sufficiency, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, and and here's, the, here's the cruelty uh, of heresy. Here's the cruelty of false teaching. And, and, and again, that's why this, which may to some degree sound kind of obscure to us, its modern manifestations exist. Uh, and this is, why it's, this is why it's such a big deal. You know, by, by that mindset, if you think to, quote, go to heaven, uh, if you think that to experience salvation, if you think to be right with God uh, requires your doing enough uh, or your trying enough or being religious enough, um, uh, if, if you think that that's the means by which you accomplish it, one of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to think you're doing pretty well, pretty well and you're going to have a self-righteousness and a false security. Um, uh, or the other is that you'll never have any peace. You're always going to be anxious. You're never going to be able um, to escape that uh, anxiety. I, I love Frank Ham, Limehouse tells the story. Uh, you know, these were the sort of things that ha- would happen to Frank all the time. Frank was at a gathering, and a man came up to him, was talking with Frank, and, and he was telling Frank, he said, you know, that's my wife's involved with the church, and I'm glad for her. Um, you know, that's, 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 that's good for her, um, but, you know, I don't really need that. Um, and Frank said, really? Um, uh, and, and Frank said, well, well you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what do you, what do, you do uh, about your sins? Uh, what, what do you do uh, about your guilt? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? How do you address that? Uh, and, and the man said to Frank, said, you know, he said, look, God and I are just fine. He said, years ago, I learned to forgive myself. Uh, and, and God and I are, are just fine. And, and, and Frank, in true Frank fashion, said, you know, I wouldn't bet the ranch on it. Uh, that, was, uh, that, was, that was what Frank um, said to him. So, there, 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 and, and I guess, you know, obviously plenty of people disagree with this, but there is the issue that we're not, and I have no difficulty believing this, but we're not inherently okay. Uh, we're not people who are inherently um, okay. There's, listen, there, there's so many breaks uh, and voids um, in our lives. There, there's so many things, uh, not just the, 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 the condition of sin um, that, that enslaves and binds us in so many ways. And, and, you know, we'll have a period of time where we feel like we're doing pretty well, and then, and then we won't. Uh, and, and then what do we do with that? You know, what do, you, what do we do with that? Um, what do we do with the helplessness? What do we do um, with the bondage? What do we do with these hurts and voids uh, and, and broken places which exist in all of our lives. And, and one of the things is, you know, really quite frankly, in thinking about this, as, as we talk about death, one of the problems is you and I, uh, all of us try to avoid it. Uh, we're, we're trying to avoid it in, in so many ways. And, and granted, I think it's a great thing um, for us to think positively and, and exercise and, and uh, eat well and, and all those sorts of things and, and, and plan and so forth. And so, but, but in so many ways, we're trying to ignore the reality of death um, by trying to look young or by trying to 
um, stay fit or trying to be active or trying to, you know, whatever it might be. Um, in so many ways, we, we're, we're trying not to contend with the reality of it, but inevitably, it, it breaks in on us. Uh, inevitably, the reality of death breaks in on us. Inevitably, the reality of sin breaks in on us. Inevitably, the reality uh, of our bondage at one point or another, we pray, breaks in on us as God reveals that reality um, to us. And then, of course, uh, as we've been talking about, when that happens, what do we do? Uh, and the reformers, and, and not just um, the reformers, had uh, a wonderful response to this and pointing um, to Jesus uh, as he is revealed to us uh, in the Bible and pointing to the character of God as God is revealed to us from Genesis um, to Revelation, talking about the beginning of the human condition, talking about um, our, our fall and our bondage, and then also from the very beginning, the way in which God began to um, respond and the way in which God not only sowed seeds of hope, but also sowed seeds of redemption um, from the very beginning, the means by which we, we hear about in Genesis, the seed of the serpent and the seed uh, of the woman, um, through the seed of the woman through which Jesus would come, uh, who through his cross and resurrection would defeat the powers uh, of sin and death, that you and I might have um, hope and a certainty and that we might be able to, whether drawing from the imagery uh, of, of Matthew 22, of, of the parable uh, of the king inviting um, the guests uh, into, uh, into the feast. And if you remember, the one is found without the wedding garment on. Uh, and it, and it, seems, it seems kind of obscure. All these people, um, it's, it's basically, it's, it's the story uh, of um, our relationship um, with God, uh, continually sort of running from God, uh, ignoring uh, the invitation. And in the parable of the wedding feast we hear, and again Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come um, to the wedding feast, uh, the, the, the gracious character of God preparing a feast, inviting his people to come to the feast, inviting the people into um, his kingdom, inviting the people into his banquet and into fellowship uh, with him. And then we hear, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, uh, and killed them. The story uh, of the prophets, again and again, God's messengers, and of course, uh, they would do the same. Uh, they would do the same with Jesus. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, uh, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Uh, and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Well, so Jesus is telling the story. I don't think it's insignificant, you know, they didn't say go to the finest places, <laughs> go out to the roadside, gather them all in, the, 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 the bad, um, the good, uh, you name it, the, the, the whole human condition, um, go out uh, and gather them in. Uh, another thing I'll note about this as well is uh, the hope and the assurance of our salvation. Uh, we're told um, that he's sent to go and to gather them in. Whose initiative is it? It's the king's initiative. It's, it's God's initiative. The, the people like you and me are clueless. Um, they're, they're, walking, they're walking along the road, and, and, and the king comes and gathers them. Uh, the king comes and gathers them 
and, and brings them in, uh, brings them in to his, to his feast. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. How, how amazing, uh, the, the gracious initiative of the king to come uh, and, and, to gather, uh, and to gather his people. And, I mean, as we're reflecting on this, do you see the dramatic difference? Do you see the dramatic uh, hopefulness in talking about this uh, as opposed to a relationship with God that's based on yours and my performance, that's based on what you and I have offered by way of indulgences and, and adorations and, uh, and different things of that sort? Does this sound dramatically more... Um, freeing and life-giving uh, and better. But then it goes on. When the king came in to look uh, at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Sounds, uh, sounds strange. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Uh, and he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, um, but few are chosen." Um, well, I've kind of opened a whole can of worms here, haven't I, uh, with, with, with that one there. Well, let me, and this isn't, uh, it, we could spend a lot more time and a lot more sufficiency. And obviously, people have differed over the interpreta- interpretation of this. I mean, to some degree, that goes as a given, doesn't it, um, to say that people have uh, differed uh, with the interpretation. But, but again, think about it in the mindset of how we're called um, to clothe ourselves with Jesus' righteousness and not our own. As Paul would say, you know, so often, put on, uh, put on Christ, uh, this, this opportunity to be clothed in God's righteousness rather than our own. It seems that what is Jesus is teaching here, this is a story um, that he's telling. This is an invitation uh, talking about the divine initiative of, of God. Uh, and you and I are included um, in this feast, not by clothing ourselves, but by allowing God to clothe us. Uh, we, see that, we see a person that refused uh, to be clothed by the king. Uh, we see a person who, who refused to put on the garment uh, that the king provided and, and said and said, you know, I'll provide my own garment. Um, I'll, I'll make my own way uh, and I'll make my, I'll make my own path. You, you see the dramatic uh, differences that, that are being offered here uh, between these two. Lastly, because this inevitably happens, and forgive me that I end up um, uh, um, not enough time uh, talking so quickly. There are a number of scriptures uh, and different things I, I wanted to share. Um, I'll, I'll share. I'll share two here um, due, to, due to time. Um, uh, su- such a shame. Um, it feels like uh, uh, Willy Wonka. You're, you know, remember, you know, he's, uh, he's on his way and he's trying to, you know, there's, 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 uh, yeah, there's, there's so much time and so little to do. It's like, no, 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 uh, yeah, flip that, exactly. There's so much to do and so little time. Uh, so much to say and, and so little time. Uh, I'll share finally um, two scriptures with us in reflecting on this. Is, and, and the first uh, comes uh, from Ephesians, and it's Ephesians 2. And this really is, in many ways, uh, a high watermark. Uh, and if you remember in Ephesians 2, I, I can remember the first time stumbling across, that, across this and thinking, um, thinking, Holy, holy cow, um, is, is this phenomenal, um, phenomenal good news. And Paul writes this, uh, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, uh, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath 
like the rest of mankind. But let me hear this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Uh, I remember hearing a great quote one time. Uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias um, said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Um, and and uh, that, you know, there, there it is, the nature of the gospel. And, and again, the, the sharp difference between these two uh, approaches, one of trying to make your own way and one joyfully receiving in faith the way which, which God provides through Jesus, uh, the one that is based on his merits or the one that attempts to do it um, by our merits. But, I mean, here's the reality of why the other is, is we're not capable of doing because we were people who are dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead people can't make themselves alive. Uh, it, it takes the work uh, of someone else. Uh, and, and, and Paul rightly says, you, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. Um, uh, you were, we were children of wrath. And then in verse 4, and you may have heard this before, there's wonderful words, but God. So here's, here's the diagnosis of, of sinful human nature, um, our inability to fix or to save ourselves. And then we hear magnificently, but God. But God being rich uh, in mercy, uh, we are told, because of the great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one um, can boast. Uh, by, by grace you have been saved. It, it, is a gift of, it is a gift from God and not by works, so that no one can boast. That wonderful word. But, but God being rich in mercy. God did this. Um, that, that his phenomenal character and mercy might be revealed um, to us and that, that our hope and our certainty in, in the life to come might be based on, on that. Uh, you know, we, we hear the magnificent words in, in Revelation uh, about the people from all tribes and languages and nations being brought together, of Christ himself being the center uh, of that place, uh, uh, the light, uh, his light, going forth and filling that place and, and and, and drawing people to this place, uh, you know, as Revelation 1 of it says, where, where we drink, um, where we drink without cost, where everything is provided without cost, where Jesus himself um, is the sinner, Jesus himself um, is the light. And then finally, I'll share this, not surprisingly, um, but uh, you're, you're hard-pressed to do better, uh, and, it's, and it's John 14. I'll say this. It's interesting. If you, if you read the Gospels, one of the things that you'll notice, uh, if you kind of look at it as, as a whole, there's, there's, a, there's a transition that, that, that takes place. Uh, the, the followers of Jesus uh, are, like, are like you and me. They're, they're often stiff-necked. They're often slow of heart, slow to uh, believe, slow to, to, to trust. Um, uh, and we see... Um, the beginnings, of course, as Jesus begins to be revealed to him through his preaching, through his teaching, through his, uh, through his miracles, the things that he does, um, begins to be revealed to them. And, of course, then we hear Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ, and Jesus saying, you know what, that's, that's, that's right. Uh, I am God's promised one. I am the one who's come um, to deliver. I am the one who's sufficient. And then, of course, talking about how he must be handed over and he must suffer uh, and be rejected and, and be crucified, and on the third day, um, he would be raised again. And then, of course, Peter says, you, you've got it all wrong. Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus rebukes P- 
Peter. Then after that, uh, we had the transfiguration, which takes place. But, but one of the things I, I, I throw out to, to note is, is this. Up to the time of uh, the, the confession and the recognition of who Jesus is, um, Jesus' ministry, certainly um, miracles were very much a part of it. And, and they don't cease. They don't cease after the confession of Jesus as the Christ. It's not that he does no more uh, miracles, but if you notice, there's a very definite transition which takes place. Uh, much more emphasis on Jesus' teaching. Uh, much more emphasis on their, uh, on their hearing and beginning to understand the necessity of his death and, and the nature of his death and what his death and his resurrection um, will accomplish. Uh, the, the, the Gospels, spending so much of their time, uh, Jesus talking about his death, focusing on it and the sufficiency of it, why? Because you and I want to be our own saviors. Uh, and we need to hear it again and again and again. We, we want to chase um, after lies. We want to try uh, and accomplish it ourselves. But instead, God gives us something um, sure and, and certain that our, that our hope in this life and that our hope for the life to come, that, that place with him forever, is based uh, on our faith in his sufficiency. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, and this is right after Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Um, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And, and, and listen to this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, who's preparing the place? Not us. Uh, not our adoration of the saints and relics and you know, offering of indulgences and our good behavior in purgatory. Um, Jesus says, no, I, I'm, I'm going before you to prepare a place for you. How is that way prepared? It's prepared by me. It's prepared um, through me. Uh, you're not preparing it. Uh, I'm preparing it. And then he says this, uh, and if I go, and this is what, what happens when we die. Uh, we die um, with, our, with our faith, our very, very imperfect faith. Um, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Uh, that is the source of our hope. Jesus has prepared the way through his cross and resurrection. He accomplishes it. Uh, and our hope and our certainty in this life and the life to come isn't in ourselves, but is in him. And as we hear that, I apologize. I've kept us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that through Jesus, your son, um, you are sufficient uh, for our hope uh, in this life and our hope in the life to come. Draw our hearts and our minds to the truth of this, um, that we might uh, place our hope in your sufficiency alone, uh, and in that place uh, we might be secure. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.